the button. It, punched punched it, bam, bam, bam. It. We're going to do movies. We're talking movies. Movies, movies, movies. One movie. We're talking movie. <laughs> We're, We're talking, talking movie. movie today. <laughs> doesn't sound right, though. We talk about movie. We're talking about That one sounds movie. like someone who doesn't understand how English is spoken. But, I mean, it is true. It's, it's accurate. I mean, that's what the... I mean, if, if you go early, which you don't, to the AMC... It's like Nuvi is the like opening thing for the AMC. What? So, what? Yeah, it's it's hosted by Maria Menounos, uh, and they do like trivia. Oh, it's like a pre-show. A pre-show thing. Show yeah, I thing. never show. never see that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's twenty minutes of trailers. How, yeah. how can I show up before the trailers uh, even start? Yeah. I, I try to get there. I've made that mistake. I mean, it's just life. Life happens, brother. Life happens. Whatever. Yeah. You there early? You want to take a seat? You got right. nothing better to do. It's true. It's true. And, you know, I don't know, when I, I've made the time to do a movie or, uh, you know, to go see a movie, I, I Let's all that's go it. to I, the lobby. Let's all go. Wow. Wearing the Hans Gruber Christmas shirt. I know. It's it's laundry day. So, it is laundry day. So I usually only wear it on Christmas, but uh, it's I jumped lo- over it's to my... Good. It's a good color for you. That burgundy is a lovely color for you. I, I, I like you, the look, color. you look gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you very much. You always I, look gorgeous. Well, I appreciate it. You're wearing blue, and I, I think that... I always wear blue. I always wear blue because of my eyes. You got yes. you to go with what you got. <laughs> you got to go with what you got in this life, what, what, what little you have. Uh, we're talking. We're talking about a movie. I mean, I guess we can talk about a movie. We can talk about whatever we want. I mean, That's it's our true. show. I don't know what else we would talk about. I mean, I mean, you. T- we we had a little hiatus because you went on a trip. I went on a trip. I was in Kazakhstan. I saw no movies in Kazakhstan. Although there were English uh, language movies available to me if I wanted to, but I, that was not really the priority there. Mm-hmm. I was in Kazakhstan with a brief Kyrgyzstan interlude. It was great. It was a wonderful trip. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Good. It was really interesting. I got to spend time with Jacob, friend of the pod, Jacob. It's uh, not a place that immediately comes to mind that I think people would be like, I want to go to Kazakhstan. All people know about Kazakhstan is Borat. Yes. The reason yeah. Sasha Baron chose to have Borat from me, be from Kazakhstan is because nobody knows anything about it. Yes. But yeah. the character Borat has nothing to do None. with Kazakhstan, really. He chose Kazakhstan because people know nothing about Kazakhstan. And so you could say whatever you want about the character. <laughs> you could say anything about Kazakhstan and people would have no basis to disagree with you sure uh the the boxer Gennady Golovkin triple g is from Kazakhstan that's probably the most famous actual person from Kazakhstan and he's only known by people who care about boxing which is a diminishing number of people in the world but uh that's about it a wonderful country very beautiful the people were super friendly uh the food was great nice uh it was just great it was a great trip I got nothing but positive things to say I would not have gone to kazakhstan my jacob uh is living there and i'd wanted to go there i'd wanted to visit him and the opportunity presented itself it's hard to get to there's no real easy it's a it's a day to get there really every whatever way you go when i went there i flew through frankfurt when i came back i flew through seoul so i did go around the world which is kind of cool i guess i I did i did make a full a full (laughs) circumnavigation (laughs) of the world (laughs) Uh, but it was basically a full day both ways. Yeah, I mean, there's really yeah. no other way to do it. No, you know, you can't get. Obviously, there's no direct flights right from <laughs> no. from from anywhere in the United States to can't anywhere in Kazakhstan. Uh, so you got to kind of go through one city or another. But it was great. It was a great journey. It was a lot of fun. I'm well, I'm super glad I did it. And you and I, I think, are are in the same mindset when it comes to travel. Somebody could tell me that I could be going to Kazakhstan tomorrow, and I think I would take full advantage of that. Oh yeah, kind of yeah. Trip. let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. 
Right? I wish we, I had more money to do it. Well, would you just come with me, brother? We'll go. We'll go. I can get you some interesting places. Well, all right. There you go. You know, it's it's exciting to go someplace. I mean, I talked about this a little bit on Dead Reckoner. It's exciting to go someplace where you don't have expectations. Because the last place I went was Japan, which is a place that I'd wanted to go for decades. It had been in my mind for decades. And I, that was a great trip, too. I loved Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. I will go back to Japan. I would have gone to, like... I was planning on going to Kyoto in this chunk of time I had off until I realized that this was going to be kind of the ideal time to go to Kazakhstan uh, and that I wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities because I, I needed a chunk of time to go mm-hmm. because um, because I work for the airlines, because I travel by standby, I need a little cushion, especially on the back end of the trip. And quite frankly, thank God I had a cushion on the back end of this trip because it's a 13-hour time flip. So it's basically a complete day. You know, it's it's basically a reverse. Yeah. So it took a few days just to feel right. Yeah. Just to feel like I could function because it was such a dramatic time change. So I'm glad I had the time on the back end before I had to go back to work. I need to have a cushion because when you travel standby, they're just, there's a lot of variables. I have to really wait until almost the last minute to even decide, like, how am I going to get back? And especially when it's multiple flights, that means there's multiple bottlenecks. Like I had to get to a city mm-hmm. where I could then get back to America. Yeah. So I had to look at things and figure out, well, what's strategically my best option where I can actually get on some flights. Uh, so this is all inside baseball. But the point being, I needed a big <laughs> chunk of time. I had a big chunk of time. I knew that this was this was going to be the moment. And I struck and it was great. It was a great trip. I had a great time. Fantastic. It was beautiful. I would recommend it. Central Asia is great. I will definitely go back. It, yeah, was, absolutely. it was beautiful. The people, like I said, were super friendly. The food was great. Horse. For the first time, I'd never eaten horse. I ate horse multiple times. It was delicious. Uh, it was great. It was a great trip. Could, right. could not recommend Almaty, Kazakhstan, Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, and the beautiful environs of those places enough. I think it was it was lovely. That's fantastic. Well, it's it good lovely. to have you back. Good to have you back. And then I came back, and I took a few days, uh, thought about my life, relaxed, rested, tried to recuperate, tried to get back in the swing of things, and then I went to the theater. Now, I love it when big movies come out, and the reason I love it when big movies come out is because I can see a 10 o'clock matinee, which is my <laughs> ideal time, because I can see the movie and still be home in time to get my kid from school. Favorite so, favorite movie time. So so we're getting into summer movies. I'd say this movie might be the kickoff, the true kickoff, true kickoff. of the blockbuster summer movie schedule. Yeah. Uh, yes, we're talking about Black Adam, of course. <laughs> Always we're, coming back. We're Black talking Adam. about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So I was excited. I was happy because I could go see a 10 a.m. matinee. Love it. Yes. And that is, um, that's my positive for this conversation. That's I got the to only see positive? No, it's not the, only, it's not the only positive. Uh, but that is a positive. Absolutely. Uh, so um, I thought... When we saw Bo is Afraid, we would have seen the strangest movie of the year. Ah. <laughs> I did not expect that it to be eclipsed by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, <laughs> whose existence I find very bizarre. It is kind of bizarre. I've been thinking about this movie a lot since I saw it. As I saw it on Friday. It's uh, Wednesday now. So I've had a lot of time to think about it. And what I see when I see this movie being made, I see it in metaphors. And I see James Gunn. And I see James Gunn as Colonel Kurtz, Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. Okay. He's way up the river. Nobody can reach him. Mm -hmm. And he's doing whatever he's doing. He's surrounded by Dennis Hoppers. (laughs) 
and there is no Martin Sheen to go get him. Yes. And it is under those circumstances that he makes a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He is a bit removed as an... Uh, he he is, I think, nobody is the lone auteur of the MCU, really. No, I don't know if nobody gave notes on this, but I sure know that nobody took notes on this. Yeah, like, sure. they might have sent him a note, like... I don't know if our audiences want to see mechanized animal torture porn. Uh, I don't yes. know that they want to see that. And James Gunn saw that note and he wiped his ass with it and he flushed it down the toilet. Yeah. Which is, you know, via Condios, over to the land of DC where they haven't made a good movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. So this is a goodbye for him and it uh, what what a goodbye it is it's like he he does it full force like he do, he does him full force what is this movie it God, is bizarre what is this movie <laughs> we had the first guardians which was really good maybe the last great comic book movie yeah because it it Every, everything since then has tried, at least in the MCU universe, and actually you could say and the DCEU, has tried to mimic the vibe and the tone and the feeling of Guardians it's of the It's the Galaxy. Shrek of our time. It really is. It's the most imitated movie. Volume 2 was fine. Yeah, that, that's a, a mediocre chapter. Um, and then you get this movie. I, I'm, I'm still struggling with what I want to say about this movie. Sure. This is a bizarre movie. This is gun. This is old gun mixed with new gun. I mean, this is... This is a gun. It's a gun hybrid. It's a gun hybrid. It's a gun that shoots swords. Because he started his career at Troma. And so he did these kind of gross-out, vile productions, cheap productions, where they would utilize the best use of their budget would go to uh, grotesque imagery it would go to torture it would go to suffering but in in a very mawkish entertainment sort of way and he you know he breaks out with a i think it's slither and which which is a kind of a culmination of that work and uh, you know from trauma and since then, I mean, he did Super, which has a little bit of that. So he was an odd duck to come into the MCU as as somebody who had that kind of background. And Guardians of the Galaxy was, it had the personality, but it, it tamed his instincts in a way. But he is always fascinated with weirdos, misfits, like the, the periphery stories. And this chapter allows him to make the hybrid of those two in- impulses in him. And yeah, there are sequences in this that I would not recommend for children who have been grown accustomed to going along with the MCU and its adventures and its journey. Uh, th- there are some, une- I mean, it's a bit uneven. I mean, it switches the mode of protagonist throughout. Uh, it's it's filled with backstory rather than, uh, you know, moving forward. It has more backstory than moving forward. Obviously, that informs what the characters react to, the acknowledgement of that backstory, what it informs with one of the characters, uh, specifically Rocket Raccoon. But it is... Uh, Came into the room, it only is a, to find Gideon's Bible. Oh! <laughs> but it is a bizarre movie. It I, is so strange. Yeah. And it's also... so. 
it's incredibly gross at times. Oh, which yes. is fine. This is not gross, a moral. This is not a moral critique. No, right? No. Like if you take a little kid to this, whatever you get, what you get. Like you got to do your research. I I don't. This is not a moralistic critique. This is purely an aesthetic observation, and it's also incredibly shockingly sentimental. So oh, senti- yes. yeah. so sentimental that I almost didn't know what to do with that aspect of it. It's the most sentimental comic book movie I've seen in a long time. Sure. And it's so sentimental. And maybe this is why I feel conflicted about the movie. Because I want to give credit where credit's due. One of the things that people have taken, and this isn't a gun problem. This is a Joss Whedon problem. Sure. Where everything is undercut with a quip. Yeah. I mean, light year, I lost my mind about this. But there's a lot of movies like this, like the shawarma moment in whichever Avengers fucking uh, stab you in the face, end of the world game is over movie where Tony Stark is on the ground. He's like, I've never had shawarma. I want shawarma. Fucking terrible moments in movies. Just moments sure. that are just so unpleasant to watch. that are gut-wrenching. <laughs> I'd rather see an, a, a mechanical animal tortured than see another moment where we have to put the bumper of some quippy line uh, at the end of a dramatic sequence, it's just so it's mind numbing. It's so unpleasant. And this movie it, it is filled is a, with characters whose sole purpose is quips and setups. And he, and for, but he doesn't do it like yeah, that much. Yeah, he really leans into the emotion and the drama. He has very heavy dramatic moments, and he does not undercut them with humor. He doesn't undercut them with a wink at the audience. There are no winks. I was very surprised by that. And credit where credit's due, I think that's better. Mm-hmm. I think if you're going to have high drama, if you're going to have heavy melodrama, if you're going to really go for the guts, it he does, goes there. It's true, but he, he, he also does have sequences that are dedicated to the humor which no, but, which is No, which I'm is, not talking about movies being funny. No, no, yeah. It's good for movies to be funny. My issue is when it's, you feel obligated to punch in a line sure. all the time to yeah. remind us, oh, this is light. He does not back away from very heavy drama in this yeah. movie, and yeah. he doesn't try to leaven it with humor. In fact, he goes the other direction. He makes it extremely heavy. Yeah, And I don't know what I think about that, but it's definitely not what I expected, and it doesn't do the thing that I hate, yeah. which is that every time... You have a dramatic moment. You have to have a little. Yes, there are funny moments. Of course, there are funny moments. I'm not talking about funny moments. But even with a character like Drax, he leans into the drama. Like when he makes the kids feel better, which is like a legitimately moving scene. I mean, it's funny because, again, uh, I wish this weren't true because it means that uh, I have to give the movie some credit. Even thinking about the moment, I feel I'm getting moved a little bit when he calms the kids down with humor. Even with Drax, who is the most comic relief character of all the characters. He still gives him this moment that is really quite sweet it, and it, quite dramatic he is and, the, uh, and not undercut by some wink at the camera. Right before that, there is a moment that they do undercut it. Um, although although you, you can read it in both ways, which is Gunn's, um, I think, maturity and his balancing act with it. It's when Nebula, Drax, and Mantis are arguing once they're on the ship. And Mantis says it's not his fault. He's stupid. And he has this moment where he's like, you think I'm stupid? And she says yes. And But then she 
takes away his memory and then he's like ha you know he gets back into it yeah. but there's some the, it, it it's trying to utilize an undercut of humor to keep it going because the character has now found a moment where that has lapsed because it's taken from him but it's still sad it's but, still sad but i didn't find let me tell me tell you this i there was no moment where i thought oh that's forced like uh, it's no, guardians it's, yeah. it's guardians so there's going to be jokes and there's going to be moments like that. Mm-hmm. But that moment, I'm just saying that there's this other thing I'm talking about where it's like, it's just a quip put in to like punch it up or whatever, punch up a dramatic moment or like, let's keep it easy or let's lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. There's funny sequences. Yeah. There's funny moments. There's jokes, but there's less jokes total than I would have expected. Yeah. And and when it gets heavy, it gets heavy, and it does not shy away. Like, the heaviest moments have nothing to buffer you from them, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so this is a strange movie. Um, I guess, I guess, in a sense, I would say that I admire it in a certain weird way more than I enjoyed it. Because the truth is, I did not find this a terribly enjoyable sure. viewing experience. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's not because I I don't whatever I don't love like gross out shit and like body horror, but I, I, it's fine, right? I mean, it's not that it doesn't have a place exactly, but it just I don't know. I don't know what I expected from this movie, but whatever it was, it wasn't this. Yeah, I I didn't necessarily expect how much of it was going to be oriented in its sense of drama and its sense of uh, you use the word sentimentality, and I think sentimentality works here in a better way than most because uh, when we usually talk, uh, critique sentimentality in our movies, um, in a sense of a fulfillment or a sense of an ideal and they're kind of leaning into that this seems sentimental because it's very personal like this is a very personal project for james gunn i think he really does love these characters absolutely and so when you when you see i mean the opening of the movie is filled it's it's so melancholic you know you have quill who's just drowning himself in alcohol you have rocket who's clearly dis dissatisfied with something something unspoken that's like haunting his mind and there certainly there are characters and moments but like it 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 has the characters uniting around quill who is clearly just down depressed grieving like still like drinking himself into oblivion oblivion i mean the first yes. we see of him he is just drinking himself he is he is Numb. poisoning himself yeah, he's numbing himself <laughs> because he can't deal with the fact that of of the loss of Gamora and the the implications of her coming back, you know, which is there's a lot going on with that storyline. I will say, and this is to the disadvantage, to the constant moving forward of the MCU. I did not watch, and I'm sure you probably didn't watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which fills in maybe some gaps of story here. Like I didn't know Cosmo was now part of the crew. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Um the, clearly Adam Warlock was woken up uh d- you know from his cocoon because we were introduced to Adam Warlock in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but he was in a cocoon because the 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 supreme I I I forget the 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 actual race, but he was sleeping. 
And it was it, it was a tease and a hint, but here he is, like immediately just flying towards the ship and uh, crashes through to you know try and obtain rocket. There's a lot of things that are just happening and propelling in motion for me that made it uh, a bit disjointed and a bit odd because because I'm not. 100% dedicated fan- fanatic to everything the MCU delivers I was a bit lost in the trajectory I, yeah I mean I, it's so bloated it it's is just bloated. so bloated it's such a bloated project and uh I'm sure James Gunn is happy to have his hand on the stick someplace else because I'm sure that he would Why rather not deal with that stuff well and then as no creative person would yes right no creative person would want to say like well we got this thing like you have to write around like our 50-year plan right it's so <laughs> stupid I'm sorry but it's lame it is it's lame it is and and here's one thing I will say for Gunn um before I, I want to come back to something you said which sure. I think is maybe the key to unlocking this whole thing uh, Gunn seems at his best to have some understanding because he was behind the the whole Peacemaker show, right? Yes, too, which was yeah. entertaining. It was. He seems to have some understanding of what superheroes and comic books might actually be useful for. I think so. Like why you might want to make a movie with them, which like the problem with superhero and comic book movies is they become so default that nobody was really thinking about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you have to solve the problem. And this is true with Star Wars and they have not, not done such a great job of this. You have to look at the thing and understand, like, what is good about this thing? Like, what does it give to us? Or what does it what does it allow for that might be enjoyable, right, or entertaining? That's true of any movie, right? You mm-hmm. have to know what it is you're doing. Like, whatever your genre is, whatever your template is. Like, what is enjoyable about this? What pleasures might be inherent in this particular form? And he seems to understand that to at least some extent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But... And so maybe he'll bring that to DC, maybe not. Who knows, right? Yeah. Time will tell the tale of that one. But here's one thing I think is important to know, and you hit the nail on the head. He loves these characters. He does. And he wants us to love them. So let's be clear. Rocket Raccoon is Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, I mean, it's funny, but it's not. No, no, yeah. He it's, is Christ. It's true. That's the ultimate... That's the that is the driving force of this movie. Like he is Christ and he is going to suffer. He has to suffer for our sins to redeem us. Mm-hmm. Right? To bring us redemption. And he suffers mightily. Right? Yes. He suffers a lot. And and they even and they comes don't back show from us the, the whole dead. picture. He comes of back from the dead. Yeah. To save us to to, you know, to bring us the redemption that we cannot bring for himself and to ultimately redeem Quinn. Right, Quinn, who is sort of the sinner, who needs to be Quill. Uh, Quill, Quill <laughs> they whatever. do they do make that joke though. They yeah. call him Quinn at one point. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the Star Lord. Star. He needs to, you know, bring Star Lord, right? The sinner, right? He needs to bring him back, mm-hmm. right? So he can he can redeem himself and make his peace with the world, right? That is his journey. His journey is not to get Gamora back, which to his credit they don't have happen either. She's mm-hmm. she goes on her way. He has to make his peace with the world. He starts in a very low place, which is smart. That's that's classic storytelling, right? You want to start your hero in this very low place. So he's low and he's desperate. He has a long way to go, right? He has a lot of work to do 
to get to where he needs to be. And we get to see him do that work. That's that's good storytelling, right? That's that's good mechanics of storytelling, right? Give give your hero some place to go. Put him yeah. put him in a bad position. For sure. Get him really fucked up so you can give him a lot of time and effort it's going to take. He's going to have to go through a lot of different beats to get to be the person he has to be, the person he truly is, to rediscover his true self. And he's going to rediscover his true self because because Jesus Christ, in the form of Rocky, Rocky Rocket Raccoon, is going to come and show him the way and, for, think, and force him to be the best version of himself. I really like this interpretation. Not, not that it is... You, you know, taking it to because it's in in its simplistic form. That is what it is. And then, so you need to ask the question: What is the form of the suffering, and why does suffering happen? And what is that in the context of this film? The suffering is something that continues. It continues in the the realm of the universe, it's, uh, the galaxy, and uh, it's it's you know the juxtaposition is with the. Oh, what, what what is the villain's name? The High Almighty? What, what Whatever the stretch face dude. I mean, who cares? Who cares? Weak, weak ass villain. That's one of the things the movie suffers from. Not a great villain Be- because he's weak because he's not characterized. He's not. He does not have a lot of personality, but he's representative. And and it comes down to Rocket, you know, in that declaration at the end, be- being because the guy's like, "I want to perfect the world," and he goes, "You don't want to perfect. You just didn't like what it was." And I think. That that's where the suffering is key. It's like you know things are what they are, and for those who who do suffer, for those who go through pain, it, you know what is that purpose? Rocket is searching for a purpose, and it wants to sort of give it all, you know, give it all up, and has a moment where he wants to submit himself to the afterlife, really. And there he's told that he has a purpose, and he doesn't know what that is. But really, it's it's not only to bring Quill back. It's also to be an embodiment that suffering and pain are not your sole deciding factors, yeah. and that he can t- he can take that and be the captain, be the head of the Guardians of the Galaxy, because he understands it. He, it, you know, he's an animal, but he's you know his his declaration that he's not a raccoon, but then you know accepts that he is. He calls himself Rocket Raccoon at the end, but it's true. Is he a raccoon? Is he an animal? No, absolutely not. He's probably the most human character of of them all because he understands what needs to be done, and 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 that that everybody, not only animals but also people, and also animal people hybrids that have been like created, deserve life. And so it's it it takes that kind of use of that character to put the grand themes that James Gunn is kind of interweaving in a very you know simplistic model of of the marvel model that he is operating in but i think he places his pieces right he's working in that formula and he hones in on the characters that represent his large theme he has a large theme that that is you know interweaving all of that formula together and then each of those characters because he loves them because yeah. he cares about them they are misfits they're weirdos they're underdogs he wants to highlight them because if they are the best of us, then they can guide. Then, then all of us can have that sense of grace and grace in that sense of suffering and that sense of forgiveness and that sense of continuation, second chances. Yeah, yeah. Adam Warlock gets it. Grace is a large thing in this. Movie. Yeah, I mean, one way to think of what superheroes are and what role they can play as storytelling devices is that it's a sort of meditation on gods, right? Mm -hmm. It's a meditation on gods and it's a meditation on power, right? Because we live in a time, 
late modern capitalism, uh, late stage capitalism, neoliberalism, whatever you want to call the world we live in, is a world of gods, right? It is a world where there are certain concentrations of power that affect our lives that we cannot touch, right? Like what Jeff Bezos does affects us and we can't do anything about it. Sure. You know, what the United States government and all its various tendrils does affects our lives in very specific direct ways. And we can't really touch it, right? We can't really do it. And because we live in a world of interconnected globalization, right? It's not like we're on a little farm somewhere. And, um, you know, then that, right, when you look at ancient societies, right, the gods were the weather, right? Because the weather mm-hmm. was what, what yeah. could kill you, right? The weather could come along and destroy your harvest and you have a famine and you die, yeah. Yeah. right? Now our gods are more diffuse and weirder, right? Like you think about. I don't know. You think about all the dependencies that we sit on top of, right? The internet, electricity, right? All these things which are very important to us, which guarantee our survival, but which if they went away, it would be anarchy and we can't really bring them or not bring them, right? They just come to yeah. us, right? As as if manna from heaven, right? So so we get a choice of gods, right? And in the Marvel universe, the gods we get, the evil gods we get, the whatever this dude is in this movie, Stretch Face McGee, Thanos, <laughs> whatever, they're gods that have an ideology that should be very familiar to us about perfecting people, about how, you know, if you want to make an omelet, you got to crack some eggs. That's really that's really their whole mindset, right? Yeah. Whether it's uh, the Kurt Russell character from the last one, whether it's Stretch Face guy, uh, Thanos, all of them are like, well, this is what we got to do, right? We, you know, people suck, right? And uh, we're going to make them better. And the way we're going to make them better is by killing a lot of them or doing some fucked up, weird, perfecting experiments on them. Yeah. And then you get the better gods, right? You get the the better angels of our nature, which is ultimately embodied once again by our Christ figure, Rocket Raccoon. Now, why can Rocket Raccoon be one of the good gods? Because all superheroes are as gods to us, right? They can all do things that we can't even imagine. Doing. Yeah. He is the good version because he has suffered. And it is only through that suffering, just like Jesus, suffering as one of us, right? Jesus can be the compassionate uh, savior god to us that the old testament god can't be because that god is is beyond us yeah that god is beyond that god does not know what it is like to to be human right he creates humans he's disappointed in them because they fuck up and he gets sad and he gets angry and he punishes them right but he can't really understand the only way he can understand is by becoming embodied becoming jesus right there is one reading of the life of franklin roosevelt that i find compelling which is that he could be a compassionate leader who would try to sand off the rough edges of american capitalism and the robber baron culture that led to the great depression because he had polio right roosevelt was a utilize it to he he was a patrician he was to the manor born right he was he was rich and powerful but he'd been crippled Right. And it is through being crippled that he was able to have the compassion to have a more expansive notion of who deserved to be have rights and be protected that uh, that uh, went counter to the sort of social Darwinism of the day and of his class where the people who had the money and had the power just thought they should be able to sort of run rampant, which incidentally is the world we've returned to, right? We have a world where these people, these rich and powerful people can just, just sort of run rampant over us and do whatever they want. So the idea here is that you can get the gods, the best version of the gods, the best version of the powerful people that will control our lives and be able to do things that we otherwise couldn't do. 
that they can they can be brought into being if they suffer because if they suffer they can have this measure of compassion that will allow them to use their power so that's that's what gun is driving at and i'm sympathetic you know you can tell based on my description absolutely i'm sympathetic to what he is trying to say there um but the question of whether it makes I don't know. It seems, in a in a way, he's sort of in a way that's kind of, but that's what's interesting, right? Is this movie is sentimental and ultimately kind of drives at an uplift, right? As dark as it is, which is the flip side of the the sort of the great, more I guess I would call them more realist tales of superheroes, right? Like your Alan Moore stories, like Watchmen where you're sort of saying, well, what is this really? Like, what does it really amount to, right? And what it amounts to is something very dark. What what Gunn is trying to drive at, because like I said, he is in the end kind of a romantic, per- he has a romantic notion, right? Yes. He yes. thinks that these people can be good. He He believes that under the right circumstance, power will not corrupt and absolute power will not corrupt absolutely, which is the the famous invocation of Lord Acton, right? Like he believes that a good a god a god that is good is possible right whereas someone like moore is very suspicious of that he thinks that once you have that kind of power yeah. you're sort of fucked See, with with the guardians it's interesting because they aren't even though they are they are they're almost like demigods like if we're going to talk about it in those terms because they are not as powerful they are they they go up against more powerful beings yeah they, we and, have these hierarchies yeah, of whatever and, and they're able to figure things out based off of teamwork ingenuity and what but what guides them is the heart it's the heart for each other it's the heart and the care of for the world and and i think it goes to this point that you say because suffering grounds us and if if any of these villains per se although uh, and uh, I, I guess it maybe it gets a little muddied if if we consider say like Black Panther because th- that is a character that's a villain. Killmonger suffers, but turns his suffering into something different. Yes, suffering is not a guarantor. Yeah, it's not. It's 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 merely necessary, not sufficient. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yes, suffering could make you worse. Yeah. Absolutely, but under the right circumstances. Because the other important thing that we haven't mentioned. Is that he has friends, right? Yes. Because you are yeah. re- you are redeemed, or or Rocket and the Guardians are redeemed by their love for each other first. Yes, right. Yeah. The suffering is important, but then also they have love. They have real and meaningful love for each other, right? Yeah, just like the apostles did for yes. Jesus, yeah, right? Because yeah, because yeah. the story of Jesus, right, is the story of. The apostles who are all the apostles. I mean, I don't know. Maybe someone's getting angry, but like the, the apostles were kind of lo- these guys were kind of losers, right? They couldn't get yes, their shit yeah, together. No, no, it's true, right? They were sort of vagrants and weirdos. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus has to actually die, not just almost die. He has to die, and then they get their shit together, and they start a giant world religion, right? If you read the Gospels and you read Acts, the guys you see in Acts are like they're out there kicking ass, right? Mm-hmm. And they're kicking ass because because Jesus was like, you guys got to rise to the occasion, and they do. Right, they do, they do. Yeah. but they don't start there, right? Just like Quill, they um they start in a very bad. They start like not, no, yeah, yeah. and then and then and then they rally, right? Yes. They rally because Jesus slash Rocket makes them rally, right? I mean, makes them be the best version of themselves. It is, and it's interesting because Rocket comes to us as kind of a mercenary at first, yeah. and it, but but he his. He's almost a moral mercenary. Like he he only takes on jobs. He has a he has principle, 
And it's in that principle, his dedication, his friendship with Groot, that then, you know, Groot in his acceptance in the beginning of the Guardians of the Galaxy, he's the one who, he's the one who wraps his arms, protects them all, sacrifices himself. Well, we love this character. We love this character. We love this. We love our Han Solos. We love, you know, our grizzled, you know, uh, our grizzled mercenary guys who end up having the biggest hearts of all. We love hearts. that. We love that. We love that character. That's a that's a time. Well, because he's jaded. Worn. He's jaded. He's cynical because he has heart. Because he's romantic. I mean, I actually think most cynicism comes from people who have romantic idealism at their heart. I mean, this is why I'm such a cynical person. Yes, yes. You are. You are a true romantic, right? You have a, you have these romantic notions about the world, right? Yeah. Just like you, just like James Gunn. Right. And and so it's interesting to me to watch it play out, to watch someone who is in the process of who's being given several hundred million dollars, I guess, to reconcile a lot of different things. Yes. Yeah. Now, I still don't know that he succeeds ultimately, because I don't know that ultimately this movie is much fun to watch, which I think <laughs> which I think is kind of the raison d'etre I, I, of these movies first and foremost. I, I will agree with you. I had an interesting watch with this movie because I actually can't, but this, I shall say the dreariness of the MCU, actually the, the unfulfilling nature of fun that the MCU has been delivering allowed me to accept this in a different way because I agree with you. Is it fun? I mean, many points of it are, are depressing, but it's because he focuses in on that drama, those small moments, the big moments don't matter. Like the the, uh, the he has this great action oneer or fake oneer, where the guardians come together and they just go through down a they old boy it really go down a hallway and just annihilate a bunch of enemies, which is thrilling in just how it's shot. But it's more thrilling because he's taken his time to build up to that moment. He's given us the drama. He's giving us yeah. the lows for these characters, the lows in between these characters, the com- the miscommunications, the conversations. He that's where his focus is. And it's because he loves the characters, he focuses on the characters. And those moments, the small moments that most that Disney, the MCU, Marvel, Feige, you know, how they look at the the arsenal. They look at the big picture mostly, and so the little moments are unnecessary. They're just pieces to get to the big moments. That's not how guns operate. The little moments matter most, and they inform his big moments. And yeah, yeah for, I mean, he's for, actually a filmmaker. I mean, yes, I, I, I yeah. mean, whatever I think about this movie, like credit where credit's due. Uh, James Gunn is actually a filmmaker, and ha- he has been given enough rope to actually make his own movie. Yeah. Yes. Right? Because, like I said, this movie cannot have been what someone giving notes wanted. No. Nope. This movie could not have Absolutely been that. Absolutely not. I can't, Absolutely I not. cannot, the, I, I cannot fathom I was pretty, the executive who would have, who would have <laughs> signed said, like, yeah, this is it. Let's, let's really, let's really make these, like, fake animals, these, these, these animals are fake, fucked up. Yeah, warped fake <laughs> animals. Show the concept art. Can you imagine showing the concept art <laughs> of, like, those, the, the, of all those creepy animals, uh, it's like it's like the most like creepy thing in like a this kind of a movie since like the Toy Story. The, 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 yes, Toy Story. The, the toys. Toy Story. Yeah. The toys and what's in what's his name's uh, Sid. Sid. Yeah, I was going to say Scud, but that's Scud. Uh, that's I mean, Christmas story. Scud Farkas. But he is Scud Farkas. He is Scud Farkas. <laughs> but like, I, it's like his toys. Like it's it's at that level. 
yes. but more. It's right? just it's disturbing. And then to watch the CGI, the contorted, like rapid evolutionary, like you, you get that turtle at first. So it's, it's almost like a little nod to like teenage. Yeah, it was Ninja very Turtles. Ninja Turtles. I thought we were gonna do a little Ninja Turtles crossover there. I was excited about that. I was sort of excited, but uh, then then you see them in their townships, and they're just gross looking. They're disturbing. And then, I mean, the finale where they rip this villain's face off, his rubber face off, and it's he. he and he's it's, Red Skull, right? That was the big. That was the big. I don't think he's, he's Red Skull. I mean, he's he, he has a Red Skull. That's I think he's Red for Skull. Sure. I think he's Red Skull. That's what I took from that. Disturbing. I mean, it is disturbing. I'm I'm I was mildly impressed with it, but I, at the same time, again, I I had like you're saying, there's mixed emotions while you're watching this. Mixed emotions because. You're 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 kind of being taken on a tonal whiplash, and not in the same way that the MCU does. He gives you like highs and humor and silliness, and then he wears it, you know, violently, you know, uh, you know, turns it towards these depressing, grotesque ideas. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but it it does strike a disjointed experience. And so for me, I. I enjoyed the focus on character, but because it, it because of its elongated runtime and how much they had to cram into this sort of cathartic goodbye for Gunn himself, but also a lot of these characters. I mean, uh, Dave Bautista said he's not going to ever return to, to play Drax. Um, I mean, there's it's open ended they say that star lord's going to return obviously that's i don't if you stay to the end and i don't know if that might be true he's he's been kind of ambiguous about that maybe that's that's a marketing tactic maybe that's a ploy to get people to talk or demand or whatever they want but there there is a nice it's a silly one if it is cuz that that gives him the leverage right it does. if you say he's got to come back he'd say well okay let's like it does. Where, where's the Brinks truck? Like, when's the Brinks truck arriving? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, and so everything about this, I do have mixed feelings. But ultimately, this is this is something that's kind of an anathema to Marvel itself. There is kind of an ode to closure here, which I think is a big risk. Uh, for, not only for some of these characters, but for Marvel. But but it it really was the only way that Gunn could like close out his time or feel comfortable with his time he sets them up for continuation impossible continuation but this chapter this 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 comic book chapter of one two three he brings it to a close so i couldn't help but admire that and enjoy that because it it was sort of nice to get a kind of goodbye to to some characters that I just truly enjoy as much as he does. Yeah, well, I mean, that's because that's because we want stories that aren't fucking soap operas, right? Exactly. Which is all this shit is now. It is. Yeah, like we'd like a story that ends. Right. The point of stories is to give us some sort of emotional experience, some sort of catharsis, right? And you can't have that if the thing just is like, oh well, wait till next time. You know, I mean, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. I mean, all of the and talk about a balancing act. It's an ensemble cast. I mean, certainly Quill is like the protagonist. All, arguably, Rocket being center center of this story, but also it has a lot to do with how Quill changes and comes to terms with himself. But 
they give everyone a lot of closure. Gamora is happy to where she's going and has come to understand that maybe her denial of who she could possibly become is kind of the barriers are broken down. We have Drax. I I love the you you mentioned the scene where he's entertaining these kids and it's so heartwarming and it's it's true to what he because Drax in all his seriousness is also incredibly silly and he and when Mantis says that you're supposed to be a father and to see his true calling in that wonderful it's a wonderful close to that character to accept that he's going to be a protector of this community and for mainly bringing up these children Nebula finally finds a sense of community and happiness and family something that she has not necessarily had Mantis declaratively going on her own always been you know supporting other people and so she gets to have her own adventure maybe she's coming back i don't know you know and and then groot you know it's groot's a kind of anomaly of a character but he he comes to uh he gets to have a line he gets to have a line and 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 it's him going you know he he is a full tree at the beginning of guardians galaxy gets reduced to a to a child comes up in teenage years and now here he is in a kind of declaration of his adulthood again i this is hard to balance, and I think James Gunn did a, you know, it's not the cleanest job, but I do think he brings all of these characters, this ensemble, this family, to their logical end of conclusion of where this team needed to go. Obviously, any iteration beyond this, it's going to be a different team, a different kind of idea of Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's what's important. It's about bringing that to a close. I think that's why... The Spider-Man movies, the Tom Holland ones, kind of operate in the same, you know, why they're considered better than most of the MCU is because that that Spider-Man has a kind of conclusion at the end. And then we whatever we continue on is another chapter in his life, another, another consideration. There's closure to that idea of who Spider-Man is in the home series. And I think Guardians gets that kind of treatment. And that's why it's better. That's why it's better than... A lot of the other things that we've gotten out of the series about, uh, you know, in the last, God, five years is because, and and better than Guardians of the Galaxy 2, because it has a sense of closure to it, and uh, it doesn't awkwardly sit in the middle of itself. Um, I, I, I mean, is it great? No. Is is it good? Yes. Is it enjoyable is ultimately the, the thing that you're you're on the fence about, and ultimately it depends on how much... How much of the experience is in its of its grotesquery, its violence, its suffering that is deeply unpleasant? How much that matters to the culmination of of conclusion for these characters? I, you're right. Does he earn it? Maybe he earns it because we have come already in loving these characters. Like if this was a like a. a, a I don't know. It's it's hard to reckon with that because we we come preloaded with knowledge and experience. And so for me, it brought it to a nice end and I was thankful for that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I don't know, that makes me happy. I mean, I you know, Gunn is a weird guy. He is. Right because he clearly is a fan, right? And he, he clearly is. is like It's interesting, right? Because we take certain tonal cues, right? And we think, well, that that tonal cue means something thematically. 
you look at the tone or you look at the sort of visual motifs and you think, well, this is someone who, like you say, is going to be very cynical. It's going to be kind of nasty. But the truth is that uh, Gunn is a true believer, right? He's a true believer in superheroes and in their power to tell some story that is redemptive, yes. right? Or that is uplifting. And maybe that goes to him personally because, you know, he almost got fired off of this series and almost taken from him because of previous comments, a previous iteration of who he was, something that he evolved beyond. And, uh, I mean, second chances are huge in this in this series, and I think he, he feels that. Like, he feels like second chances, not only, it's not that they're deserved, it's that when you are granted it, you need to make the most of it. And I think he's trying to but, do but, that. But, I mean, I, th- I think here here is here it is, right? Superman is and remains the er superhero, right? Superman is the, is superheroes, right? And if you look at the story of Superman, you ultimately feel one of two things. And that's going to determine how you feel about a lot of these kinds of stories. You look at someone who is as a god to us and who nevertheless, for whatever reason, right? And there's, you know, people are going to debate why this is, is able to use his powers for good right and who um who decides instead of doing all the terrible things that he could do as a god decides to use his supreme power to protect people and make the world better and james gunn just like you just like anyone just like me encountered this story at an early age and he was moved by it and he thought there's something very sweet about that and there's something hopeful about that. Mm -hmm. Or you encounter that story and you think this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. This is bullshit. And that's what divides people, right? Ultimately on these questions, right? You look at it and you say, that's bullshit. If you're Alan Moore, you see that and you think that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. That's bullshit. Right. Uh, And the problem is the existence of anyone like a Superman. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. So the idea that someone would have great power, that from great power would come great responsibility to take another Earth superhero, right? That people out of the, that, that they're, it's really about idealism versus materialism. It's about do, does, does what's in your heart kind of, can you rise above it all and be this great person in spite of everything pushing you in the other direction, or is it really just kind of, you know, you are who you are and that's kind of the way it is. Mm-hmm. And and this is just a fantasia. The sort of, you know, there's there's a difference, you know, we all have moments where we want to believe in heroes, right? We want to believe that a great person could come forward and shape history to the good. And we also, you know... And that's the romanticism of superheroes, which is the same as romanticizing Franklin Roosevelt or Jesus Christ or Martin Luther King, you know, or, you know, whoever. Yeah. Pick pick your favorite historical hero, right? It's like either you believe in that and that moves you and you think, oh, there's something here. Like we can we can hope for people who are both great and good, right, to come and help us or save us or um 
or being very cynical about that and about narratives like that, right? And there's a lot of reasons why you could choose to be cynical about narratives like that. But that doesn't really matter because gun is is romantic in that way. Yes. And so he looks to these stories, you know, he looks for the better angels of our nature, right? That they could manifest themselves in these superhuman characters, right? And um you know, people are going to carry that he he will become the I mean, in a way, he goes to DC, which has you know the more iconic superheroes, right? The more I mean, Superman, you know, the the most the most iconic superhero, the most sort of pure and he is, distillation of the idea that I'm talking about. And he is writing and directing the new iteration of Superman, which I think, as you're describing it, his he's a believer. I I feel optimistic about his interpretation of that. Because, because he, I, you know, and I, I do agree with you because I, I'm split in a, in a way where I, I am sympathetic to, to the Alan Moore interpretation. Like I am, I am wary of power and I am well, wary. We all, of, we all contain, you know, we all contain multitudes, right? Yeah. I'm not, I, I mean, the, the binary is, is in the ideas. It's not in how it's, they manifest themselves in abso- people. We absolutely. all, we all have moments where we look at great people, real or fictional, and think like, oh, my God, I'm so moved by what that person did. And sure. we also have moments where we think, uh, you know, maybe we'd be better off if we weren't waiting for the next Jesus, right? Sure. Because because a lot of times there's a, a frustration, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people where, you know, you know, uh, like like the Chris Rock bit about like black leaders, like people say there are no more black leaders. Like why why do black people have to wait around for a leader? Right. Mm-hmm. Why do any of us have to wait around for like some Christ like figure to come and like like Moses, right, deliver us to the promised land? Yeah. Right. Maybe the problem is that we're being told that that's what we have to wait on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is some special person. Right. I mean, we, we've got another we've got another Dune movie coming up. Right. Which is kind of uh, the classic story about the limitations or the dangers of messianic thinking. Yes. Right? Like, yes. Like, yeah. like what happens when you when you become convinced that what you need is a messiah like like maybe maybe that's a problematic way to think and maybe 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 the people who want you to think that want you to think that for their own reasons which are for self-serving sure. for self-serving right? reasons absolutely no i and i it, it's it's interesting that this movie you know it, it would be it will bring up a different kind of conversation with the same philosophy. Because I think the Guardians, they are more grounded than most of the superheroes. Sure. They they are more representative of the people left on the outskirts and that they are kind of taking control of their own destiny in a way. And certainly they're yeah. aided by they're aided by, by a tree that can contort and manipulate his body. Quintessentially Marvel superheroes, <laughs> yes. right? They're flawed. They're a little offbeat, right? Yes, uh, but but it's through those flaws. It's th- and and particularly they are uh, more flawed. They've experienced. I feel like they are an embodiment of experiencing more on the ground suffering. You look at someone like Nebula whose entire body is a representation of suffering, you know, somebody who has been ripped and torn apart yeah. to try and be molded into some sort of way. 
Rocket being the same way. Quill, who's lost his mother at an early age and and uh, is still reeling and reeling from abandoned father abandonment and abandonment of of his loved ones. You know, it, it manifests in that kind of sense with Gamora. These are complicated characters, and I I think Gunn treats them as complications. Yeah, and I think ultimately the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy works better than most because mm, they b- b- and it's because that we 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 he loves them therefore we do and they are representative of something that maybe maybe we can obtain in ourselves in our own sense of familial chosen familial comfort and that gives us heart it gives us power and it gives us direction because it is about fashioning a community the whole thing is about that these are people these are all people from the outskirts and the the uh, I suppose the downtrodden of society, and they're creating their own society. And I I like those elements. I like that idealism. I like that romanticism. And I think it it doesn't go into the flights of fancy of of naivete. I think it's very grounded in a sensible approach, even though it is incredibly sentimental. That sentimentality, I think, is grounded in a personability, a connection, and it allows us to be part of it, too. That's I think that's the best kind of sentimentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and, and I mean, I will say this for it. Uh, once, you know, once this is uh, available for streaming or whatever, I, I will sit down. I'll watch that whole trilogy, and I'll consider it as a, as a storytelling sort of unit. Mm-hmm. And I won't do that for many of these movies. No, no. Most of these movies no. I won't sit down and watch again, period. But That is but true. Th- these I will watch again, and I will, can you, I will give them consideration as can such. Can you imagine the person out there that, in preparation for each varying chapter, no. sits down to watch no. 32 movies no. in order to prep for number no. 33? <laughs> no. I mean, but, you know, uh, the internet makes us aware of a lot of things that we weren't previously aware of, including, you know, the kink slash BDSM communities. And that is certainly an act of masochism as profound as any I can imagine. <laughs> that is very true. That, that was on your true. whatever FetLife profile, right? <laughs> it's so funny the things I'm aware of because of the internet that would not previously have entered my consciousness. But I'm aware of FetLife, which I guess is like the, um, the, the you know, meeting people website for people in the the kink community and yeah that's that seems to me like a kink absolutely that's a masochistic kink right the, there. the marvel uh chronology kink yeah yeah the completest. the completest like sometimes they watch them in order of release sometimes they watch them like in order of like when they occurred when they occur yeah right in the in the quote-unquote timeline yeah that's that's interesting that is interesting isn't it um well i, I thought this was a good conversation always. about guardians of the galaxy oh well, yeah always but you know i i had been thinking about it as well i saw it two days ago yeah so it's a little fresher for uh, a little fresher but i yeah it, it wasn't uh, the, my my biggest takeaway was that I was like, you know what? This works better because I actually really do like these characters, and I really do like. Yeah, I found myself caring in spite of, in spite of myself. Yeah, times. for sure. <laughs> well, and and I and and through that, some of the humor were even though it's it it. And you're right; it's not quippy per se in the kind of traditional way. I mean, it's silly. I mean, it's a very silly movie at times, but I I seem to embrace it because. It's all rooted in how the characters are interacting with each other, such as, you know, Mantis telling the guy that he's deeply in love with 
Drax. And like it's silly, it's ridiculous, yeah. but it works because it it it's in conversation with how they are they know each other and how they they are interacting with each other. No, and I want to be really clear about that point. That is my highest point of praise for this movie is that never once did I feel the heavy hand of the person in the writer's room saying, oh, we got to put a joke in here. Yes. And the producer yeah. saying, well, we need a joke on this page mm-hmm. or that whatever the, the suit, the higher up. I never once, whatever issues I had with this movie, I did not feel as I feel in almost all these movies, the heavy hand of dark men and women wearing suits coming in, <laughs> giving notes. The true villains of the MCU. Without question. Without question. The true villains of the world. Yeah. Dark men and women in suits. <laughs> the men in black. Yeah. Lurking in the background, <laughs> making the real decisions. I did not at any point feel the heavy hand of those people. No. And to me, that is that is the highest praise I can give to this movie, is yeah. that whatever it is, however I feel about it, you know, although I mean, I could say the same about Bo's Afraid, quite frankly. Yes, but but, yeah, yeah. but I enjoyed this movie much more. I mean, I said it was stranger. It's stranger in the sense of what it is. It's it's the fact that there's a superhero movie that that's this strange is a yes. multiplier on how I rate it strange. Exactly right? because because Bo is meant to be strange. It's telling it's you right away, I'm strange. This is such a strange movie, yeah. which actually makes it sort of less interesting. Right? Uh, I agree. It's so interested in telling you how interesting it is. Yes, but uh, you know. It's a show don't tell thing, Ari yes. Aster. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like people on dating profiles who say they have a good sense of humor. Uh huh. Like, I'll be the judge. Of that. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see yeah, about yeah, I mean, that. You know, you can you can say that. Yeah. But uh, you know, let's let's uh, the proof let's, is in the pudding. Let's, let's put a pin. Yeah, let's yeah. put a pin in you just declaring it. It's very true. Um. Well. Yeah, this was good. This was a good uh, return, a return of up-to-date return. So what are we watching next? What are we watching next? Let's give the people That's a preview. You're our preview good guy. Is it Transformers? Is that the next? We, we should do Blackberry. I think that would be... Okay, no, uh, Blackberry looks good. I'll, I think I'll, that I'll, comes I'll out that. this weekend. I think what else? Starling Girl comes out this weekend. That's a girl growing up in like a very religious household and starts... It's a coming of age of like sexuality and... Oh, I like sex. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm the it, most pro-sex in it, movies. It, it's one of those serious indies i mean it looks good uh i think it would be a good conversation but i think blackberry should be the the focus because i i actually don't know what's coming out uh, i know transformers why. is coming soon transformers is coming soon because it's got the gorilla transformer <laughs> i'm excited about that guy of the beast i'm not i'm not sure how to be prime did, did you see the second trailer for it though no. uh it, it it takes place in 1994 like it's a it's a period piece. That's great. Like, That's great. That's a, that was a big year for me. Okay, is a big year. Next week there's a lot grade. coming out. So what do we got? What do we got? So we got Fool's Paradise, which is Charlie Day's directorial debut about the the guy who's in a mental institute, but then he comes into Hollywood. So it's essentially he robbed Hal Ashby's being there and put it into Hollywood and and and. I, cool. I say cool. I say steal that from steal, from, steal the from the best. Uh, you have hypnotic Robert Rodriguez's uh, uh, thriller with Ben Affleck. Who's I, think it's, I think it's hypnotique. We're hypnotique. Gonna pronounce that. Hypnotique. Well, that's what I'm going to call it. Hypnotique. Um, and then Blackberry. 
and the Starling Girl, and yeah, I th- I think out of those, I would lean towards Blackberry. That looks definitely more Blackberry. interesting. Definitely Blackberry, maybe something else. Who I knows? mean, I'll probably see some of You'll these. You'll see it all. So uh, if if you if if you, if something strikes your interest and you go see it, we'll, but we're we're saying Blackberries are Blackberry. Priority. We'll do Blackberry. All right, for sure. Sounds good. Uh, because uh, and then we we have to uh, prepare ourselves because the following week, um, I actually am going to advocate we don't do Fast X unless you really want to. I've seen. I talk about. I've seen so few fast movies. Yeah, I don't have any. Yeah, you're not gonna. I would rather. I would rather go see Paul Schrader's new movie, which comes out that weekend. Of course, so yeah. I think yeah, that that's would, easy. That's let's easy. let's let's do that because I hear it's not his best, but he's more interesting filmmaker. Like there's I just, I just much more no conversation. Fast X. <laughs> I've seen. I, they've done like 17 trailers. I've seen them all. I've seen the movie. It's awful. It's just. I I, I think it's it. it it jumped the shark a long time ago, so I don't know what they're doing now. They they're nuking the what, fridge. What, is I, the lo- what I love Jones about one. the trailer is like every line is meant to be like a tagline. Like every line is just like is like meant to be like sort of like a quotable. Like you'd put it on the poster. I know. Like, every it's single about one. to get real. It's every line is like that. It's not, there's no like actual like things that a human being would say. It's all like lines that should occur like once or twice in a movie. But the whole movie is just going to be like it's tagline like, like tagline lines. Yeah, it's tagline. Right? Uh, 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 an arsenal of taglines. They're just a you never it's a come war from of my taglines. family. Like it's just like yeah. it's just like. All trailer lines, like all the lines that you would which like family the trailer with trouble with having so much family is which one do you choose to yeah, save? It's all, it's all like lines that you think like maybe we'll put this one on the poster. You know, they're just trying them out. Yeah. They don't speak like real human beings. Yeah, no, I mean, this, this the, the Fast series takes place on another plane of existence, much yeah. like the John Wick, but it's a, just a sillier place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Camelot in uh, Monty Python. It's just a silly place. Uh, no, yeah. So lo- lots coming out. Uh, I think even on the indie sphere, there's stuff coming out in the next couple months. Um, uh, I, I think blockbuster wise, we'll be busy if we want to do those. So we'll have plenty of options, Lots which of which I like. Lots I like that movies. there's options. Lots of movies. So um, yeah, uh, Ben Thalen, Dead Reckoner, Substack. Go go uh, go find his musings. You just talked the Met Gala musings. Yeah, we did. Day. We did the Met Gala with Thurlene. Uh Kyle Brule. I know movies and you don't subscribe to his Patreon. Uh, and just I hope you guys are great. I hope everyone listening to this is great. Yes, we love you. We love you out there. Stay safe. Stay safe. Indeed.